I invite you to turn in your copies of the Scripture to Romans chapter 12. We're back there again this week. The text being verses 1 through 13, though our focus will be, much of our focus will be on verses 9 through 13. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Here once again the very Word of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each, each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, and he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we once again look at this encouragement, this exhortation, this admonition to be given to hospitality, we pray that you would goad us to think outside of our comfort zone as this example that is given to us in Paul's epistle to the Roman church is part of living sacrificially for you. And so, Father, we pray that we would think upon these things from that mindset as living sacrificially and proving what is that good and perfect will of God. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen us to do these things. Often we think we are inadequate to the task, yet all things are possible through you. Nothing is outside your reach. And with the help and the goading of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish all that you've called us to do. Help us to embrace those notions with thanksgiving in our hearts. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, brethren, last week we began a short study on the importance of hospitality in the Christian life. And today I want us to continue that short study. Uh, From this particular passage, we did use this passage last week, but we spent most of our time in Deuteronomy chapter 10, which is the foundation of this passage. 
And in that Deuteronomy 10 passage, verses 12 through 19, God reminds the people of Israel that He is the only true God, that He alone is sovereign over heaven and earth, that He had made covenants with the forefathers of the Israelites, namely Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that He, Jehovah, loved Israel when they were strangers to Him, and therefore they were to show hospitality to the strangers in their midst. That being the foundation of this passage in Romans chapter 12, our understanding of what it means to live in hospitality towards strangers and those who are, who are strangers to us in the camp as well as outside the camp becomes all the more important. Just as Jehovah God was merciful and compassionate to those estranged from Him in the Old Covenant, our God who does not change desires those who are in the body of Christ, the second person of the Godhead, to be merciful and gracious in hospitality to strangers we encounter. Because God does not change and He was careful to be to, to pursue with hospitality of grace and mercy strange people, we are to follow in His footsteps. I will say this, few things sadden the elders of the church more than when we hear from visitors that the congregation was not very friendly when those visitors were in attendance. Fortunately, we don't hear that very often. I believe, though, that that reflects just as much on the elders as it does on the congregation. For the congregation is to look upon the elders as models of righteousness. And so if people come and visit and aren't welcomed, it's likely because the elders aren't very welcoming. Our congregation, though, is a bit different. Even as late as yesterday, I received an email uh, from folks who visited here during the summer months, and they sent some photos as well, commending our church for being a very hospitable church, very warm and welcoming. And so I want to encourage you to keep that up. But with these things in mind, I want us to turn our attention to Paul's instructions from Romans 12 as they relate to hospitality. And I'm going to focus on three things. First, uh, the first few verses, be a living sacrifice. That is something we are to be. Second, we are to abhor evil and cling to what is good. And then lastly, we're to love one another and be given to hospitality. So those are the three aspects of our passage that I want to focus on today. Uh, last week, we spent some time considering what it meant, what it means to be a living sacrifice. And I want to, to be remind, remind us today of what Paul spent much of this letter in Romans explaining, and that are the theological circumstances of the Roman people. He, he begins by telling uh, the church that all peoples are lost in sin because of the fallen Adam, and that with Adam we have all sinned in him. Uh, he then says that there is recompense for those who sinned if they humble themselves, and turn to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and rose the third day for our justification. If we embrace the work of the Savior, God lifts us out of that sin 
into His marvelous light and then teaches us how we ought to follow Him in righteousness. And all of that leads up to this particular chapter, chapter 12, where the chapter begins with the word, therefore. Now it's a few words into it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And it's reasonable because of all that Paul has taught us already in the book of Romans up to this point. That Christ gave himself for us and has brought us out of darkness into his light. And therefore, it's reasonable that the Christian should follow after Christ in his ways and for his glory. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Coming into the kingdom of God necessarily requires a change in one's life. We're not to be conformed to this world anymore, but we're to be conformed to the instructions that God gives us from His Word. And He tells us that His Word is not burdensome. It's not a burden to be born, but rather a joy to live out. We'll speak about that briefly in just a few moments. But he does begin the chapter with two interesting words. I beseech you, therefore. Let's spend a couple of moments on that word beseech. The word is parakaleo in the Greek, which means to ask, beg, plead, to encourage, Comfort and exhort. All of those meanings come with that particular word. And so Paul is is begging and pleading with us because of what we know that, that Paul teaches us in the book of Romans, because of what we know that Christ has done, we are he's begging us to present our bodies living sacrifices. And this means that we are not to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds unto righteousness. He then speaks of what a renewed mind and a living sacrifice, what it actually looks like. For our purposes today, we shall fast forward to verses 9-13, through 13, but all of the verses that follow after verse 3, or beginning with verse 3, show us what it means to live like a person who is a living sacrifice. But I want us to focus primarily on verses 9 through 13. So let us jump ahead to those verses. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of saints, and given to hospitality. Well, he begins with love not being without hypocrisy, and then quickly says, abhor what is evil. Brethren, living sacrificially cannot be divorced from living righteously. Living sacrificially cannot be divorced from living righteously. In other words, one must live in righteousness to love others. You must live righteously to truly love others. It is not possible to live sinfully and love other people. 
If you live breaking those Ten Commandments, which we just recited together, you don't love other people. It's obvious. You steal their things. You hate them. You bear false witness against them. You covet what they have. You teach them not to follow after God and live before Him in righteousness. In short, if you are going to live sacrificially unto God, you have to live in righteousness. This is why Paul states plainly, let love be without hypocrisy. It's hypocritical to say you love someone and to act against that. Paul again, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. If we're going to love our brethren, if we're going to love our neighbor, we must embrace with both hands and hold tightly to righteousness as God defines it. So to love God and one another, we must jettison the ways of sin and unrighteousness and cling to what is good. This word cling in our English translation is from uh, the old English meaning to cleave. Now, often we think of the word cleave as to cut away or to cut apart. But in the old English, the word cleave meant to, to draw close as well and to embrace It is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe God's commandment to Mary in the book of Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's it's interesting to think about that word because both the notion of cutting apart and bringing together is encompassed in the same word. We are to abhor what is evil, cut it out of our lives, and cleave or cling to what is good. You see, those things, to, to do one necessarily is required for the doing of the other. We cannot embrace sinfulness and hope to love our brethren. We must cleave, cling to what is good. We, in other words, we're to be betrothed, betrothed to righteousness. We're to marry it. Those of you who are married understand this better than those that aren't. We, we hope that each of you young people, God will provide a, a godly spouse for you. But the Bible talks about what it means to get married. Two become one. There's a unification there. And, and Paul is exhorting us to be unified to righteousness as one would marry their own spouse. Paul then describes in verses 10 through 13 how our actions reflect being the, that living sacrifice that is clinging to righteousness. Verses 10 through 13, there are seven individual facets of sacrificial living that are set forth for, forth for us that exemplify what it means to practice clinging to what is good or being betrothed to, to righteousness. Let me rehearse those for you quickly. Let me break them apart as I believe the, the original language uh, really uh, deals with them separately. The first being in, in verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. That's one complete thought. To, be, to brotherly love another is to honor them and give preference to them. 
The second facet, verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In other words, the first three commandments, first four commandments, I should say, be diligent in those things always. Serve the Lord. All the rest then flows from that if we have our proper perspective of how we serve God. The third facet, verse 12, beginning of verse 12, rejoicing in hope. Part of the understanding what it is to live in Christ should bring joy to our lives. We should rejoice with great hope. What God has promised through His Son Jesus shall come to pass. It's not an if or a maybe. It's a promise that will be kept. Is God slack concerning His promises? No. Not at all. He brings them to pass. So we're to rejoice in hope. The fourth facet, patience in tribulation. Patience in tribulation. And those tribulations can come from our own doing, our own sinfulness, the consequences of which we have to live with. It could come from outside of our lives without any invitation by us. Tribulations come upon many people. Think of, of the great difficulties the people are having in Houston and Florida, as well as the Caribbean uh, and in Mexico. These are, these are tribulations that God has brought. And God brings those into the lives even of His own people. And yet, we're to be patient in tribulation. The fifth facet's also in verse 12. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Well, that goes very closely with patient in tribulation, doesn't it? We, we often, when we are troubled, resort to prayer. Well, we should be praying all the time, and especially in times of tribulation, that God would strengthen us, strengthen our resolve to do the things that have gone before, to be kindly affectionate to one another, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in the hope that God's promised us, even though we're as we're being patient in tribulation, all of these things would be good recitations in our prayers. All of these things would be good recitations in our prayers. The sixth facet, distributing to the needs of the saints. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Sometimes we don't even know what those needs are. Well, I'm going to suggest how we fix that ignorance And that comes in the seventh one, the final one, given to hospitality. Given to hospitality. Brethren, time does not permit us to consider each facet. However, I do want to comment on the first facet before moving on to hospitality. So the first facet is be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. That goes hand in glove with hospitality being kindly affectionate to our brethren. In verse 10, Paul tells us that our affections toward our brethren must include honor and giving preference to our brethren. Honor and giving preference to our brethren. In other words, our brother's needs should come before our own needs. Our brother's needs should come before our own needs. That's what honor and giving preference to them means. Now this admonition 
is diametrically opposed to the age in which we live. However, in verse 3 above this, we have a similar verse that says, think more, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought, but rather, who should get the position of honor? And who should be given the position of respect and, and uh, the, become the object of our, of our handiwork? That is our brethren. In our age, we live where we're, we live in an age where we're encouraged to focus on ourselves, on our own accomplishments, our own possessions, and our own aspirations, and give very little, if any, thought to that of our brothers. The proliferation of social media has encouraged the me generation. Now, I don't know, you know, they, all these generations are given different titles. I don't know where the me generation falls, but I think it's pretty broad right where we are uh, when we look at social media. I'm not condemning social media. It does have its benefits. But I am very concerned, however, as to how it, is, it has shaped our society by encouraging a self-absorbed reflection on one's own importance. And I think it's becoming more prolific. I don't think it's waning. I think it's becoming more prolific. Brethren, if we are going to prefer our brethren before ourselves, if we're not going to think too highly of ourselves, but more highly of our brethren, honoring them, as Paul exhorts us, Are we going to make decisions in light of those things? The decisions of our lives? Consider your decisions in light of these admonitions from Paul's pen. How shall I spend my time? Shall I invest my time in the advancement of others? Or shall I only invest my time in my own desires? Which is the sacrificial choice? Investing my time in others or in my own desires? Likewise, shall I invest my treasures in others or shall I only invest it toward my own pleasures? My treasures. Brethren, weigh these things before making your choices. Paul is saying we are to live as living sacrifices. And this means that these kinds of considerations on behalf of our brethren must be made. They cannot be ignored. This then brings us to the last of Paul's admonitions. Be given to hospitality. Be given to hospitality. Well, first of all, we must acknowledge that this is an admonition for the whole church. If we are going to live and love one another as God teaches us here in this passage. Paul's statement leaves no room for idleness regarding hospitality. Every one of us is obligated. Now some may object that they don't have the gift of hospitality. Brethren, hospitality is not listed as a gift given to only a few, as are the gifts listed in verses 6-8. through If you look at those the verses 6 through 8 and the gifts that are listed there, 
they are primarily the gifts required of officers in the church. Some of them are universal to the church, but most of those gifts that are listed there are supernatural gifts in in some respects, and and of course, gifts of leadership in others. But the, 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 the Christian living, these seven things that we just looked at in verses 10 through 13, are to be exhibited by all Christians in the church, not just some, but all. And so there's no gift of hospitality, so to speak. That's something we're all supposed to live out. Each one of us. So if God requires that of each of us, then we must all be gifted in hospitality. Well, you say, Pastor Hickey, I'm of slow speech and of a slow tongue. Sounds like Moses, right? I'm of slow speech and of a slow tongue. How can I go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go? What does God say to, to Moses? I will be your mouth. I will give you the words to say. So go. Go and do the work I've called you to do. Brethren, God has called us all to hospitality. So let's do it. This may make you a bit uncomfortable, but let us be reminded of the Apostle Peter's words in Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, verses 8 and 9. And there we read, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Peter also gives this same kind of admonition to the church. It is true that hospitality is to be an attribute of one who is qualified to be an elder in the church. That is true. Both in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, Paul includes hospitality in the list of those things necessary for a man to be and serve as an elder. So, by the way, let me encourage you as the elder training class has begun, and at some point it will likely be that some men will come before you, one of the attributes that these men must have is that of hospitality. So it is necessary that an elder have this, this attribute in his life, that of hospitality. But let us also be reminded that our elders are to be an example to the flock. Again, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock. He's telling this to the elders. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly. So serve the church with eagerness, you elders, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, and then carefully look, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So the elders are to be an example of hospitality to the flock. It's an attribute they're to have, but they're also to be that example to the flock. Now just as we have considered the word beseech in verse 1, and the word cling in verse 9, I want to spend a bit of time on the word given in verse 13 because Paul uses a very unusual word in the Greek for this word given to hospitality. The English word here given 
is an unusual translation. It really doesn't do it, the Greek word justice. The Greek word dioko means to persecute. Given, in the, in the English here, is the Greek word to persecute. The Apostle Paul uses the same word in Acts 26, where he's describing his actions before his conversion. And in verse 9 of Acts 26, we begin reading, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul's recollecting of who he was before his conversion. I indeed thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and, and many of the saints I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I diokoed them even to former city, or foreign cities. Now the New American Standard Bible renders dioko into practicing, practicing hospitality. Verse 13 of Romans 12. While the ESV, if you have an ESV, renders it to show, meaning to show hospitality. But none of these, including uh, the New King James, given to hospitality, none of these seem to have the thrust of Paul's emphasis. Paul's emphasis is on how we are to exhibit hospitality to others is likened to persecution. Well, how can that be? Well, let's think about the word persecution a little bit. Our English words, word persecute and prosecute, prosecute, likely come from the word pursue. Thus, it would be correct to conclude that we are to pursue in love our brethren with hospitality in the way a prosecutor prosecutes or persecutes a criminal. Now, I'm using a lot of words that sound alike there. But think of it this way. If we're to be given to hospitality, there's an earnestness there that's like persecution or a prosecutor who's going after a criminal. That's how we're to be given to hospitality with that kind of intensity, with that kind of commitment. Ask yourselves, am I given to hospitality in that regard? Am I willing to prosecute somebody with hospitality? Am I willing to persecute somebody with hospitality? It almost seems oxymoronic, doesn't it? Because they seem to be opposed uh, things in opposition. Brethren, I think it would be fair to say that some prosecutors are better, better than others in criminal cases. It would also be fair to say that it is a prosecution by attorneys is a skill that can be developed and honed. So brethren, do we live with brotherly kindness to our brethren, honing the skill of hospitality? Do we work at it? Preferring them above ourselves? Paul's exhorting us to pursue others with hospitality with a very keen skill 
and we would do well to hone it. All right, then I want to bring us then to the application. I'm going to finish a little earlier today. That's unusual for me. Just as God describes Himself as being hospitable to His people by loving us when we were strangers to Him, as were the Israelites in Deuteronomy 10, we are to look upon our brethren and the strangers in our midst with that same kind of fervor. Stranger means often opposed to us. Do we look upon others strangers to us with the intent of going after them with hospitality like Paul went after the church when he persecuted it. That's the intensity that God is talking to us about here. The lost we are to go after with hospitality. You say, Pastor Hickey, I don't know what to say to people. All right, bring them into your home. Let them see how you live. Feed them a meal. Sit down and talk with them at the table, across the table. Eventually, you'll get to faith. And then all you have to do is tell them about what God's done in your life. That's all you have to do. But be diligent. But Pastor Hickey, the neighbor had a party last night. I was up until 2 in the morning. I'm about to fall asleep in the sermon this morning. I can't stand the neighbors when they act like that. Guess what? How will they know how important the Sabbath day is unless you share with them? How will they ever know that? It's time to have a barbecue. Bring them over to your house on Saturday night and finish at 9 o'clock. Show your hospitality. Fill up his or her calendar with your hospitality. But Pastor Hickey, I don't understand why my family acts the way they do toward me. They belittle me. They treat me poorly. How did we treat our Savior before we were saved? We were strangers. We were estranged from God. And Jesus came and took us out of that darkness. He did for us what we are to do for others. While we were yet sinners, the Bible states, Christ died for us, the just for the unjust. Jesus pursued, yea, even prosecuted hospitality toward us when we were His enemies. He was a living sacrifice that died and has risen again. He is our peace and the image of the Father who sought out strangers in the land of Egypt to show His grace and mercy, being hospitable to a stiff-necked people. That's how they're described in Deuteronomy 10. I hope we all desire to be witnesses to the world. The way we do that is through hospitality. We must become the living sacrifices that exhibit the hospitality of God to the world. 
that hospitality that He has shown toward us when we were strangers to Him. He sought us and brought salvation to us. He persecuted us with His righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. He persecuted us with that. Can't we all say praise the Lord? He hounded our souls from heaven and we are now His. And we must hone our skills in hospitality that we might do likewise with those who are lost. You say, Pastor Hickey, how do I do that? Well, it's kind of like going to Carnegie Hall in New York City. You have to practice, practice, practice. That's how you get to Carnegie Hall. You all knew that though, right? We have to practice hospitality. Guess what? I'm not any good at it. My house is not any good for it. You, you can think up all kinds of excuses. God says, do it. And get better at it. So, finally, in His likeness, let us persecute others with hospitality that they too may know the grace, mercy, and eternal life found only in Christ Jesus our Lord and King. Let us pray together.